last time we did a series was last year and we looked at the book of Ephesians. Uh, six chapters took us a few months. We're looking at the whole gamut of the kingdom of God. So who knows? Who knows? Uh, on Monday, I was, I was busy. We were, busy at the, we were so busy at the job club on Monday. Every, every week we run a job club for, for individuals looking for work uh, that even I had to step up and, and do some coaching. As I approached the, the guest as she came in, uh, I, I just simply said to her, I can only apologise, but you've got me today. And uh, things will be back to normal next week. Uh, I haven't preached for a few weeks, and a few people were saying how fantastic the last few weeks have been preaching. <laughs> so just like our guest at Job Club, I can only apologise. Things will be back to normal next week. Uh, we, we posted... Uh, this fantastic talk two weeks ago on uh, on generosity and uh, on our Instagram we posted a picture of Viv and come along on Sunday and uh, she got loads of likes like 60 likes um, today they uh, yesterday they posted me um, I'm about 30 at the moment so if you haven't got Instagram you can sign up I, I can wait so. Uh, <laughs> okay, so uh, um, as we as we start, I, I've been reading. I've been reading uh, this Catholic priest and theologian, fantastic writer Henry Nouwen. He was a fantastic Dutch Catholic priest, and uh, in his book, in the name of Jesus, he says this, and he says this that I'm deeply convinced that the Christian leader of the future is called to be completely irrelevant and to stand in this world with nothing to offer but his or her vulnerable self. Uh, It's a fantastic quote, really challenging, really challenging. And I I believe what we see is there's a bit of a renaissance happening in the Western church, Western Christianity, which which I can only say we're moving away from programs to God's presence. We're moving away from just services and Sunday services to serve in our city. And so as you are part of this church, this is our, this is our focus, to, to be a people of his presence and to serve our city. There are some fantastic churches in London, fantastic services. We, we are not here to offer fantastic services on Sundays. We are here to serve our city, and, and as simple as that. So as we start, let's read uh, Exodus 14, verse 10 to, 10 to 14, and... Um, and then we'll pray and just see what happens. If you don't have a Bible, if uh, maybe you're visiting us, you don't have a Bible, we've got a few at the back, so just grab a Bible with our, our compliments. Uh, but let's, uh, let's start, verse, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were Egyptians marching after them. I'm reading a different version, so I'll do that one. The, the Israelites were terrified. They cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, why did you bring us to the desert to die? Weren't there any graves in Egypt? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? We told you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the desert. Moses answered the, the people. He said, do not be afraid. Stand firm. You will see how the Lord will save you today. Do you see those Egyptians? They will, you will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you. Just be still. 
This is the word of God. It's absolutely true, and it was given to us in, in love. So I've entitled this first talk of this series on the story of the kingdom, um, The King Who Rescues. Uh, I, want, I, want, I was tempted to call it Kicking Anxiety's Butt, <laughs> but, um, but my mother and father-in-law are here, so I'd <laughs> we've called it The King Who Rescues. We haven't got any fancy slides, I'm afraid. Uh, the most, but the most powerful things uh, in the world in terms of shaping the way we think, uh, shaping the way we are as human beings, uh, the way we think about and make decisions, I just want to propose a stories. Uh, lawyers sometimes believe or think that arguments and persuasions are the things that drive people's behaviours and decisions. Uh, some of you accountants, engineers... A uh, financial wizard thinks that think that data, uh, numbers, facts are the people are the things that drive uh, people. But numbers and data only take us so far. Arguments and persuasions only take us so far. Uh, marketing people can 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 think that uh, we're driven by lust or desire or fear, uh, a fear of missing out, missing out on some pleasure. But lust, fear, desire. They can only take us so far. Uh, and I believe it's those individuals who, who weave together a compelling story. Uh, that takes us further. Stories, I believe, are the, are the power and they provide a framework of meaning. Uh, on the 28th of August, 1963, a Baptist pastor stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., ready, ready to deliver a speech. A crowd of more than... 200,000 people, <laughs> it's not him there, uh, stretched out in front of him. Uh, I can imagine as, uh, as, he, as he stood and looked at 200,000 people, he was filled with both excitement and fear. Uh, but midway through his sermon, he just pushed aside his, his papers and just spoke from the depths of his heart. There in the open air, in, on the steps of the memorial, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King gave what many regard as the greatest sermon ever preached in the 21st century. And he, and he said, I have a dream. I have a dream. And so it's the storytellers that shape the world. Uh, there's so many elements to a good story, aren't they? Uh, a good person faces a huge challenge. They need a rescuer, someone more powerful than them to help. And so then we see these stories of the rescuer coming and intervening and they live happily ever after. Uh, stories have this power to change the world, don't they? Some are famous, like Romeo and Juliet. Others, uh, romantic stories like that. You have political stories like the suffragette movement 100 years ago, the fight for women's right to vote. And then I want to propose is the most important story ever told, and it's the story of the kingdom of God. And so as we look over these next few months, Jesus told a story. And as you enter into this story, and I want to pose a story that, in which if you believe it, as you enter this story, it has the possibility to radically change your life forever. It's a story that he told over 100 times. 106, if you'd like, for those uh, statisticians. statisticians. And it's the story of the kingdom of God.
storytellers, writers, film producers, they, they talk about the meta-narrative. They talk about the narrative arc in the story. So meta-narrative, what's the big story? What's the, uh, what's the big story in the story? Uh, the meta-narratives are what's the unfolding story that we can tell? And the kingdom of God is this big story uh, that we enter. It's the meta-narrative. It's the big story of the Bible. And the meta-narrative of, of the Bible is this golden thread that as you turn each page, you hear and you see, if, if, if you choose to see it, of the kingdom of God. From the beginning of Genesis, in the beginning of Genesis, to the Amen in Revelation. It's this golden thread that if you see it, you'll enter into this, this story. Let's pray. That was for free. Let's pray. So Jesus, come. Come in our midst. We thank you for the individuals that you brought here today. Thank you for the, the stories that we hear of you, you, you changing, taking an individual and, and radically change them as they enter a story. And we pray today, we pray a blessing on, on my words. And uh, there'll be individuals here that receive what your spirit is saying to them. Amen. Uh, so my story started when I, was, when I was about 16. God had already had a story, but my story with God started when I was 16, and I, I walked to the front of a concert room in the Sutton Festival Halls uh, after hearing a message, after hearing a story about Jesus. He's the Son of God that came as a man. I heard this story that he lived an example. He lived a life that uh, a, a human who was so connected to God could live. I heard this story about how he suffered a gruesome death in order to be a sacrifice so that I could have forgiveness of my sins, but also I could have freedom from my shame. Uh, and this story was this story of a rescuer. He was a healer. He was a radical man. He, he almost was anti-religion. He was quite provocative to the religious leaders of the day. And so as I heard this story, I heard how he... He died, but then he conquered death. He conquered death to give all humanity uh, a, um, an opportunity to step into life, an eternal life. I heard about this, eternal life. And as he ascended to heaven, he took the keys of the kingdom. He took the keys and he became a king of heaven and earth. And so this powerful message, which, uh, to be honest, I've been seeking to understand ever since, uh, is that, that when Jesus, he became a king, there was an opportunity that I could make Jesus king of my own life. I could get access to the king's spirit. I could get access to his authority and in turn, release others into life, invite others into this, into this story. And many of us here, we've made that decision and we're reaping the benefits of that um, of that story and we're entering uh, and we're helping others to enter into that story and so I went on a weekend away as a sort of 16 year old a couple of weeks later and it was a national sort of camp in in the middle of a middle of a field and I, it was there that I got baptized in the Holy Spirit it was there that in the I was with some other young people and and I'd go to the the, the youth leader and I said 
And I say to him, um, when I pray, I'm starting talking gibberish. What is that? And he told me about the gift of tongues. And uh, as, as, we, as we sung, I had this vision of this burning bush on fire. In my mind, I had this picture of this burning bush on fire. And I said to him, what is that? And he was confused that I didn't know the story of Moses and this burning bush that was on fire. And, I was, and he showed me the scriptures. I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> I, had, I then had, the next day, the next night, I had this vision of, of London. I, had, I saw this picture of London and tens of thousands of people walking to this man who was burning with light. And I said to him, what, what is that? And he started talking, talking to me about evangelism and what revival is all about and just God's plan and his heart for, for London. The next night, so we had a youth tent and then there was an adult tent and I kind of snuck into the adult, adult tent on the last night to see what the fun was all about. And they were talking about healing and I ended up in this scrum around this lady in a wheelchair and we were praying for her and she got up and walked. So my journey in that month was, was quite, I, I thought it was quite weird. I gave up, I gave up all my drugs. I get, I, two months before I'd got arrested. And so God had sort of snuck his plan into my life and, and taken me on a different track. Uh, that might be the first time my father and mother-in-law have heard that. (laughs) 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 Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I return... I returned to school after the summer holidays and did A-levels and all of my friends and all the teachers were shocked that I was, I, I wanted to do religious studies as an A-level. And over those two years we studied the Gospel of John, we studied David, we studied Elijah and my, my uh, RS teacher, he, was, he went to a vineyard church in Teddington and so, uh, so I just went along. I just went along and learnt about Jesus, learnt about the Bible, learnt about this kingdom of God stuff, learnt what it meant to, to outwork what Jesus says in our, in our own life. And so with those early experiences, those early, early experiences, it's probably not a genius to figure out what kind of path God has taken me on the last 25 years. Um, or more. <laughs> Uh, I don't know about you, as many as you know, the Christian life doesn't mean that uh, it's an easy life. How many of you know that? It's not just because you become a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that all your problems disappear. I'm trying. <laughs> Welcome back, Danny. Uh, and so despite the miracles, despite the visions, despite the life, despite the people coming, coming to faith... I've also experienced, like many of you, trauma, doubts, fears, worries, deep wounds of pain from other people. That's part of my story the last 25 years, just like your story. And about 10 years ago, I was about to give up on my life. And so I'm grateful to Jesus that he didn't. 
many of us, there might be some people here, you're about to give up on, on certain things. Is this, it's just hard, it's tough. Exodus 14, 14, 10 years ago, became um, a verse that I could only imagine what, what that was about. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And so I had people pray, I, was, I feel people praying for me for that. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And God did a miracle in our marriage, uh, a miracle on our predicted future as a family, and he rescued me and he rescued us. And so Valentine's Day 2008 was the start of God's rescue plan for us. And so we're here because God is the God that rescues, has rescued me. He's the God that fights for me and he fights for you. And many of you need to hear that. He's the God that wants to rescue you, wants to fight for you. And we never thought that we would ever church plant. You can imagine 10 years ago, we never thought in a million years we'd ever be allowed to church plant. <laughs> Some have still got their doubts. Uh, <laughs> uh, but can I tell you about another vision, another picture we had in 2012? Again, at another weekend away, another camp, national camp, um, God gave me another vision of London. And there were these multiple locations of fire across this part of London. These burning bushes of revival, God was saying that the, there were these small communities of life that he wanted to, to start. And then God was saying literally that vi he wanted Viv and I to start a bigger fire. And the words to bring life to Balaam and beyond came from that vision, 2012, that God wanted to bring life to Balaam and beyond. And so we've entered a story that God has, has given us clues like a treasure map on the way, and we're just simply following his lead. So starting an evening service is part of God's leading to have multiple expressions, hubs, fires, communities in multiple locations. That was when I was meant to pray. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> um, and so as we begin this story of the kingdom, uh, this is our story, and you have, your, you have a story as well. We want to look at the overarching story of the kingdom of God, and this is a core message of our, our values that we have as a church. We want to see the whole biblical narrative from the Old Testament, which we're going to look at these next few weeks, uh, the anticipation there was about the kingdom coming, and now how the kingdom has come in Jesus, and that's the starting point and mandate for all Christian discipleship and ministry. Uh, as we look, we'll see that Jesus announced and demonstrated the kingdom with authority, and then he gives his disciples and you and I that same authority and that same power that he did. Uh, so, as I said, Jesus spoke on the topic of the theme of the kingdom of God more than any other. So this is something important for us, as, for, for anyone, as, as disciples and followers of Jesus. And what we want to do is end up at some point hopefully this year, as a church begin to grapple our role in the kingdom. Uh, and for you as an individual, your role in the kingdom of God. So we're going to just unwrap the, the big picture, the meta-narrative. We're going to unwrap the narrative arc of the kingdom of God. Let me move on. 
What we want to do is when we pray as Christians, let your kingdom come in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? Very, very, very simply, the, ki- the kingdom of God is like what things would be is, is what things would be like if Jesus ran everything, if his will was done everywhere. The kingdom of God is what things would be like if Jesus was in charge. When we pray, your kingdom come, what we're basically saying is we are saying that we want this situation uh, to be like what it would be like if Jesus was Lord, if Jesus was in charge. And I want to challenge you, if you embrace the story that Jesus told, if you immerse yourself in the story and start to live out the implications of this story, your whole life could change. So today I just want to touch on how, how will we be rescued for some of us here. Uh, remember every great story has this uh, rescuer. The damsel in distress needs to be rescued. Prince Charming comes and saves Snow White. The woodsman comes along and saves Little Red Riding Hood. Um, Private Ryan gets saved. All these stories, there's a rescue, rescue involved. And in the kingdom of God, Jesus comes along and rescues us. You see, Jesus is the king. The New Testament speaks about Jesus being a king hundreds and hundreds of times, over and over and over again. The New Testament says that Jesus is the rightful king. We, we miss it because we think Jesus, his surname is Christ. My name's Steve Bateman. We think that it's Jesus Christ. We think that Christ is Jesus' surname. We miss it. Every time you see the word Christ in the New Testament, you should substitute it with Messiah King. Christ means Messiah King. Jesus Christ, the Messiah King. It's not his surname. It's who he is. He's the Messiah King. And there's this secret I want, I want you to, to know. And this secret that we're going to unwrap, that's been, uh, has now been disclosed. Everyone who listens and hears the secret that God's kingdom is going to come, it comes in two stages. And has come, into, has come in two stages. But it's not going to be obvious. In the first stage, it's hidden and you have to look for it. It's not necessarily visible or in your face. You have to search for it. You have to search and find it. Look under your seat. Where is it? Where is this kingdom of God? But in the second stage, God's kingdom is going to be evident and open. It's going to be overwhelming, like a boulder from heaven. In the first stage, God's will doesn't displace every other will. In the first stage of the kingdom of God, God's will is done but also is the will of sinful human beings. So is the will of Satan. In the second stage of the coming kingdom, when Christ returns, there will be only one will done on earth. And that's the will of God. So right now, we live between these two stages. This is the secret to unwrap. We live between the first stage of the kingdom come and we live in between the second stage where it's going to come in all its fullness. And the mystery of the kingdom is that the kingdom of God is here, but it hasn't replaced every other kingdom. 
The will of God is being done, but so is the will of sinful women and men. And so is the will of Satan. And this, if you can imagine this age, we're running on parallel tracks. We have the will of God and the will of the earth. When Christ returns, we'll run a monorail. There'll just be one track, and that's the kingdom of God coming in all its fullness. Every, and we look at Jesus as our model. Everywhere that Jesus goes, he exhibits God's good and kind rule. Everything, everything that Jesus touches gets healed. Snow White wakes up. Little Red Riding Hood is rescued. Private Ryan is saved. You and I are rescued. The gospel tell us that Jesus, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who had leprosy were cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is preached to the poor. Everywhere the Jesus, the messianic king goes, he defeats the enemy who's too strong for you and me. But Jesus is this rescuing king. And as you choose to surrender, we make this daily choice. It's not just one thing that I did in Sutton 25 years ago plus. Um, it's something that we do, we choose to do every day. I choose, I can't run my life on my own. I need a king who knows me and who wants to fight for me, who wants to rescue me. And so the story of the kingdom of God is God's perfect image-bearing Jesus is now spread. <laughs> this is, I can't wait till we get to this bit. It's spread through little image bearers, which is you and me. As we, as we enter and think about how do we get into God's story, many of us suddenly have realized that we have a role to play in expanding the kingdom of God. Uh, one thing that I've noticed that it's become a little bit common, uh, uh, can I say this politely, convenient, to, to categorize obedience on Jesus' saying to what's possible and what's impossible. The, the truth is that, so healing, we're commanded to go and heal. We're commanded to go and make disciples and baptize them. We're commanded to love our neighbors as ourselves. We're commanded different things from Jesus. The truth is that every commandment of Jesus is impossible without God's indwelling spirit. I cannot break free from anxiety, anger, fears, my temptations, unless the Holy Spirit empowers such a sustained lifestyle. It's, it's impossible for me to do it. We've tried, haven't we? We've tried to break free of some of the things that hold us on our own. It's impossible. In our, and so in our society, two things that we've forgotten, I think, generally speaking. We've forgotten or not believed what the truth says in the Bible. We've chosen not to believe that. Oh, that's for then. We've chosen not to believe that Jesus' teachings are, are real or they're not allowed now. And we've, we've chosen, we've forgotten not to allow his indwelling spirit to restore us, to revive us, to fill us again. It's these two things, the truth and the spirit running side by side. We may have moments of breakthrough. Most of us have had moments of breakthrough, moments of failures, moments of wrestling. But I'm never free to say it's okay to lust 
I'm never free to say it's okay to worry. I'm never free to say it's okay to have anxiety or fear. Worry and anxiety, they give us this false sense of responsibility. They give us, I, I've got to be responsible. I've got to do this. I, I've got to worry about this. Jesus says this about worry. Who by worrying can add a single hour to their life? Time and time again in the scriptures, it says, do not fear. Do not be worried. He, God knows our human condition. And so one of the best ways to prepare, to prepare for God's sifting in our life is to say no to fear. They don't belong in the kingdom of God. Fear, worry, anxiety, they don't belong in the kingdom of God. And we say, we say no to fear and yes to love. So how do we, so if God's going to fight for us, how do we be still? If God, if God is the God that fights and rescues us, how do, we be, how do we be still? And he says this, his love, he says, I'm with you to the very end. His love covers us, it empowers us, uh, and it says, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. I love the Salvation Army. Uh, I've, I've got a kind of a, an alter ego that I'm part of a Salvation Army church. Uh, I, love, I love what they represent and what they do in, in the community. My, my other alter ego is Justin Timberlake. <laughs> Just in case you wanted to know. <laughs> when I sing, I'm br- bringing sexy back to Viv. Doesn't really. Again, I had that in my notes before I knew my mother and father-in-law were here. <laughs> We've only had sex twice. <laughs> We've only got two kids, I promise. I promise, Nelson. <laughs> Things will be back to normal next week. But I love, um, I love the Salvation. I love the Salvation Army. I, lo- I absolutely love the Salvation Army. And every, in every Salvation Hall chapel, they have an altar at the front. They have a place at the front. They call it the Mercy Seat. I love it. I absolutely love it. This Mercy Seat. Every chapel, every hall in the Salvation Army across the world has a place called the Mercy Seat. And, uh, and this is what they say about it. The Salvation Army says, we affirm the mercy seat in our meetings. That symbolizes God's unremitting call to his people to meet with him. This mercy seat is not only a place for repentance, which I might need to do. Um, It's not only a place for repentance and forgiveness, but also a place for communion and commitment. Here at the mercy seat, we experience deep awareness of God's Uh, abundant grace and in this place we claim his boundless salvation this mercy seat may be used uh, for anyone at any time in in response to the proclaimed word of god as an early as an early christian i used to read these uh, american and british revivalists and charles finney in his book revivals of religion he says uh, he was he, uh, American. He was, he was known as the, uh, the father of modern revivalism. And in the early, mid-1800s, uh, 
He was part of a great awakening in America. And he referred to, he also had this idea of this mercy seat. Uh, Salvation Army, they, they started in the late 1800s. But uh, Charles Finney had this idea of a mercy seat. And he, and he set up in the front of his meetings uh, anxious seats where people would come and sit before the Lord until they had sought forgiveness, gave their anxiety and waited and found peace. Um, life is too short to let peace stealers determine your destiny. Worry, anxiety, fear are just peace stealers. Uh, the aim of this series is, uh, is, is to... The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and forceful women and men lay hold of it. Over this series, my dream, my hope is that we will kick anxiety's butt. If, uh, and so if you make this decision with me that you're going to live at rest, I, I believe you'll not only enjoy life more, but I believe and declare God will do for you what he did. The mercy seat came from the Israelites. He will do the mercy seat that, that the Salvation Army's dreamt about. Uh, he will do what Finney described as this anxiety seat. I believe that the God that, that parted the sea at that, during that scriptures, he wants to restore your health. He wants to bring vindication and peace um, he wants to bring the fullness of your destiny, your story. And I, I promise you, he fights for you. He's fought for us. Uh, okay, nearly finished. Some of our story needs to come into God's story as we place ourselves before a living God. This is how to get still. As we place ourselves before a living God, we begin to hand our past, our present, and our future before him and begin to hear his meta-narrative for your life. Begin to hear his purpose for your life. Uh, we may wrestle with difficulties of the commandment to heal the sick. We may wrestle with the impossibilities of that. We may wrestle with the disappointment. I mean, some of us are disappointed in our own faithfulness to exhibit life-giving power of the commandment to heal the sick. We may be disappointed. Our experiences dictate, sometimes dictate that we can't go again and pray for someone. Um, possible and impossible, supernatural and natural. With God, it's all supernatural. It, and with us, it's all impossible. Healing someone is impossible. Just like forgiving someone on our own naturally is impossible. Refusing to journey in that hostility that we hold in our own hearts is impossible without God. But what we must never do is hide behind this veil of impossibility, impossibility. We must never hide behind an excuse, oh, that's not for me. That's for those crazy people. Uh, Dallas Willard, he says this, and then, then we're going to land. We're seeking to become students of Jesus who routinely and easily live the Jesus life, but by doing what he did in every environment. It's time we ceased reshaping scripture 
to possible and impossible without him and realise it's all impossible with him. And it's the impossible that we're called to do. It's absolutely what, what we're called to do. Why don't we stand and then we're going to pray. Uh, So here at the vineyard, when I first went to a vineyard church, they had space at the front, which is the equivalent of of the mercy seat. It's the place where you can come and bring, bring your things to God, bring your things to Jesus. And so in a little while, we want to invite you to, uh, for those of us who are worried, anxious, fear, um, this is the place to come. What I loved about some of these revivalists is that they didn't force anything. They just waited for the Spirit of God and allowed God to, to move in their midst. For you as an individual, uh, my challenge is how, how much do you want to hold on to some of your fears and anxieties? And how much do you want to uh, receive the stillness of his presence? So uh, if that's you, if you want to come down, we're going to have our own sort of mercy seat down at the front. If you want to come down and, and just come before God, place your burdens before God, just come. Uh, come and kneel at the cross, come and stand, come and sit. And then uh, in a few minutes, we'll get some people to come and partner with you in prayer. So, so come down now.